So, Mark. Yes? This week's movie very much has the feel of a hour-long holiday special that is too long. Uh, it feels like something that premiered on TV. And I was uh, honestly surprised that it had a theatrical release. So, we'll dig into that. But in the meantime, I was thinking, in the spirit of that and the recent release of the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, and of course the the much maligned Star Wars holiday special, what's a, like, film franchise that you think needs a special Christmas event? You may be unsurprised, but I am going to go with Lord of the Rings. <laughs> That's a good one. So would this be like Star Wars where they invent a fake holiday that just looks like Christmas? Yeah, obviously. They're all sitting, Bilbo, Frodo, sitting in the Blessed Lands, reminiscing on Middle Earth with the elves and the Valar. So and this is like explain... a framing device that you can flash back to different holidays in Middle right. Earth. Right. And then you cut back to the Hobbit Christmas the elf Christmas, the human Christmas in different towns. And, you know, there's, like, the vague implication that this is the inspiration for Christmas celebrations in the future because of the whole fact that it's the past. And it's, you know, they're all sitting by the fire smoking their pipes and it's very wholesome. But also maybe a drug-induced craze because that seems to be the vibe based off of Star Wars. The, the crazy thing is that this feels very plausible. I'm not kidding when I say I could easily see this being made at some point. Yeah. By Amazon. Right. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, I'm sure there's some very silly options. Like, they celebrate the fall of Baradur by <laughs> putting up a tree and then setting it on fire. And that's where we get the tradition of lighting Christmas trees with little twinkling lights or candles. Um, other options are the death of the Witch King of Angmar at the hands of Eowyn, and then she gets a Virgin Mary treatment. What I really want is for all of the 12 Days of Christmas things to have Middle-Earth analogs, because obviously we've got the five golden rings. But yeah. that it's like, we're the three French hens... The eagles, or was it the two turtle doves or the four calling birds? It's a very bird-heavy list. It's mostly birds. It's mostly birds. Look, when your true love likes birds, I mean... The funniest thing about the five golden rings is five is, like, the one number that there isn't. Because it's nine rings, seven rings, and three rings. So which rings do you think are the five golden rings? I guess maybe two of the dwarf rings were lost. Because no one actually knows what happened to the dwarf rings. Okay, so that works. And by no one knows, I mean I think Tolkien just decided not to write it. Because <laughs> sometimes Tolkien fans forget that these are books that just a guy wrote. It oh, seems you don't where think people like... are weirdly intense about the legendarium? Yeah. <laughs> sometimes you want to just remind a person, like, there isn't a mystical reason why we don't know what happened to the dwarf rings. Tolkien just said, ooh, they disappeared under Earth and we'll never know, because he decided not to write what happened to them. Right, like, the whole thing started out just as a children's story that he decided to then also write down on paper. Well, it mostly started out as a fake language, because he is a weird guy. Yeah, and and Marco, I want to push back, because let's keep in mind that children's stories are the problem, because as soon as children are able to walk, they should behave as adults. Yes, as we all know, as this movie so eloquently explains. I'm very much Team Valdar, and I think that Martian culture should not change. <laughs> well, 
That's just because your job is replaced by a cord attached to children's antenna where all the information is just fed there. That means you can go do other things for fun instead of having a job. I don't think the Martians need to be subject to this 1960s U.S. cultural imperialism where the television is beamed in and corrupts their youth. Okay, well, that's fair enough, but I don't play as demonstrated throughout multiple studies as an important part of childhood. I think, really, everything was everything was fine until this TV showed up. Well, I mean, fair enough. <laughs> that's my current vibe on social media, so I get it. Actually, that is kind of true. Like, the children were not sad. I'm, I'm sort of inferring from the backstory. The children were not sad until they realized there was a Santa Claus out there they did not have. The fact that they fixate on Santa is so fascinating. Now, I mean, we are told that they've been, like, watching a ton of TV before that. Yes. Yeah. The like, human programs, TV in general. excuse you. Yes, the human programs. Okay, I have so many thoughts, so I do want to get through your uh, franchise before we get too deep, because I will... I have... So many things to say about this movie. Okay, I got a couple of ideas. Number one, Mortal Engines. Okay, yes. I'm down. Sold. Every city on wheels has a different Christmas, I'm guessing. Well, here's a couple of ideas. One, like, the the lead girl whose name I don't know, but we'll learn when we do our Mortal Engines episode. Like, she could experience Christmas in the big city that they take over from Hugo Weaving. London. Yes, Maybe when they get past the wall to those other, like, freedom fighter people, maybe they introduce them to Christmas. Or, best yet, perhaps the North Pole is engaged in a little municipal Darwinism. Okay, perfect. Santa Claus drives a city around. Santa Claus drives a giant rolling city around, and either he could be going in, but instead of devouring cities, he gives people gifts, or Santa Claus has been so beaten down by all of the devastation of the years of the decades that Santa has lost the meaning of Christmas and needs to learn it again. So is now, Santa that murderous? I am fully in support of. Is he murderous before relearning the true meaning of Christmas? Or is he just like depressed roaming around in his giant city sled? He's definitely engaging in municipal Darwinism. So okay. he's definitely devouring and repurposing smaller cities. Including the Easter Bunny's village, the Tooth yeah. Fairy town. <laughs> Right, this should be the other also guardians. Inter- this should be intersecting with the universe of Rise of the Guardians. <laughs> We're coming up with some great ideas for Peter Jackson specifically. Yeah. If he listens um, to this. So that podcast. was my main answer. I think that some other ideas inspired by uh recent movies and, and whatnot. I thought that a Magic Mike Christmas could be a good time. True. That feels like it's no longer part of the HBO business strategy, but a year ago they could have done it and it would have been good. And then uh, the other one, the other one I thought would be fun would be uh, a Predator Christmas. A- Alien vs. Predator Christmas or just Predator Christmas? I was thinking just Predator, but I like the idea of Alien vs. Predator Christmas. The reason I am saying this specifically is because I think the Predator should branch out in the kind of disguises it uses. I think that invisibility has become a crutch for the Predator, and it should try costumes. Mm. Like, like blending in style cloaking as opposed to just straight invisibility cloaking. Right, yeah, because everyone knows now, the Predator, oh, you beat it, you use infrared, like, all that, and then you're good. So, what they should be doing instead is, like, oh, we're not looking for the Predator, because that's just Santa walking down the street. I would love to see the most absurd Santa costume as well. Like, it is just the Predator with the hat and a fake beard. But completely convincing. Everyone buys it as Santa. Everyone's like, yeah, this seems right. 
This seems correct. Marco, did you Marco, have any ideas? Uh, yes, I have two ideas. So for my what franchise needs a, a Christmas slash holiday special, um, the first one I was thinking sort of more uh, UK based and not necessarily a film, but my partner and I have been recently rewatching Good Omens. And I think now that they are doing a second season, which to my knowledge is not based on any book so they're just kind of going off the rails i think we can really branch out and do like all different sorts of holiday specials such as you know let's make santa claus a demon and have our our good omens pair like have to fight santa claus i think that could be very fun um and then my second idea is jurassic park santa claus is a raptor i will offer no further explanations at this time so would this be i know you just said no explanations but i have questions um would this be just based on some combination of the Jurassic Park movies? Would this be incorporating, like, the Netflix kids shows? So I think, I have not watched the most recent Jurassic Park, but that's fine. based on what I gathered from the commercials, um, dinosaurs are just now everywhere on Earth. Uh, uh, God, Jurassic World Dominion. Um, the answer is... Basically, no. Oh, well, then those commercials are extremely misleading. No, the movie couldn't decide what it wanted. Mm, That is fair, because the tagline of the movie in advertisements was, see the movie, which... Yes. Was it really? Someone got paid millions of dollars to come up with the tagline, see the movie. I mean, they also did not advertise the name of the movie. They just put the Jurassic World logo on. That is also true. Because I guess, like, it's, you know, you just know once you see the logo and it says, see the movie, and you're like, I guess I gotta see the movie. As ordered. It didn't work on me, but um, I think it should be, like, sort of, you know, dinosaurs are dispersing throughout the Earth and sort of, like, just kind of integrating into broader society. And as part of that integration, one of the raptors takes up the mantle of Santa Claus. Okay, does he have a sleigh? He has a sleigh pulled by smaller raptors that can fly, of course, because this is a holiday special. And what is a fly? What is a holiday special without a flying sleigh? So, what if it, instead it's pulled by like pterodactyls or archaeopteryx or something like that? I think we can have a pterodactyl in the lead, but because reindeer are not ordinarily flying creatures, you can't have the sleigh sure. pulled by predominantly flying creatures. It needs to be just a little more absurd. To really okay. give you that Pachycephalosauruses. There we I, I like Pachycephalosauruses as the ones pulling it. I like it. I'm down. I feel like we cracked this. I think we did. Yes. Peter Jackson, you in particular, give us a call because we have some great ideas for your franchises. Because Mortal Engines, I refuse to accept, will not become a franchise. <laughs> it's coming. One day. We Remember how Mortal Engines was like a, a story of imperialism? Yeah. We're going to talk about it in January. I can't. And then we're going to talk about the sequel, More Tool Engines. <laughs> uh, but until we get to our upcoming Mortal Engines episode, I do think we need to start talking about Santa Claus and Martians on this week's episode of We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark, and I'm gay. And I'm Will, and I'm a ginger. And this, of course, is an investigative podcast dedicated to examining just the least important issue facing the world. Does Hollywood or New York TV adjacent (laughs) holiday romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if their romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation, which is good for us this week. We will dig in 
and see what's there. And as we continue our look at at strange examples of Christmas movies this year, we are joined once again by our friend Marco to talk about the 1964 sci-fi Christmas movie, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Hello, I'm Marco. How y'all doing today? Uh, great. It is good to have you back. I liked this less than Dylan Dog Dead of Night. I will say Dylan Dog Dead of Night had a certain just balls-to-the-wall absurdity that this movie was maybe lacking. This movie couldn't afford balls-to-the-wall. Right. right. <laughs> Dylan Dog had a confidence in, like, we're going to turn one of our main characters into a zombie. Whereas this movie lacked any kind of momentum. It was very restrained for a movie about Martians kidnapping Santa Claus. Like, I saw the title and I thought there would be, like, conquering going on. But it's it's just like... He just laughs. Yeah. Right, that's the thing. I thought the movie would mostly be about, like... I knew the basic premise of, like, Martians kidnap Santa Claus to, like help them deal with their kids. And I was like, okay, that's minute 20. And then it's all about like Santa and like how he engages with the Martian culture and all of that. No, this movie's 100, sorry. This movie's 81. 82, 81, 82 minutes. Okay, it's like an hour and 20 minutes. Santa arrives at Mars 54 minutes in. Yeah. This movie is a solid like 60% lead up to a very minimal sort of climactic event. It's mostly... Martian bureaucrats arguing over whether to kidnap Santa, which we will know they will do because we know the title of the movie. I, I would argue there is less arguing about whether to kidnap Santa and more arguing about how, because Kimar needed precisely zero encouragement before he went from how do we make our children happy to, all right, I guess we're kidnapping Santa Claus. The man turned on a dime. But didn't the sage tell him to do that? No, the sage just said... Chichar or whatever The sage was. just said, we need a Santa Claus. And Kiamar was like, well, I guess we gotta kidnap him then. You have to kidnap the Santa Claus. Right. Well, yeah, especially when they go to Earth and they learn that there's only one Santa Claus. So you've gotta kidnap him. You can't have a second Santa. What are you gonna do? Put Dropo in a beard? I'm just saying that there were so many ways that you could allow your children to have fun. Like, the issue wasn't, we don't have Santa Claus. The issue is, we beam information into our children's brains as soon as they are born. And so I feel like maybe just lessening that a little bit is a much easier step than kidnapping the Sandy Claus. I do want to give this movie credit where credit is due, because it handles one of my biggest issues with Christmas movies better than any, which is, if Santa Claus is real... There would be evidence of him, and people would believe in him. And in this movie, that is true. Santa Claus is real. All the adults accept that he's real. He's literally interviewed on TV. That is true. And everyone just, like, he is part of life. Because that means that every child is waking up every morning with presents that parents didn't put there. So they must know he's real. And I've never seen a movie that talks about it that way, where it's like adults don't believe in Santa Claus, which is a massive plot hole that I've addressed on this podcast It's so many times. Any movie where Santa Claus exists and adults don't believe in him is absurd, because then who do they think is giving them presents? Every person in the world is assuming some other stranger has broken into their house and put presents under the tree. Right. So I do really, I agree. I love that this movie just starts and it's like, Santa Claus is real. We all accept it. It's not a point of debate. Let's move on. So talking about the interview with Santa, where uh, journalist Andy Anderson 
is at the North Pole. It's very cold. All the food is cold. But he's very cheerful as he gets to talk to Santa and Mrs. Claus. This, by the way, is the first film appearance of Mrs. Claus in her screen debut. Ever? Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. Good for her. This movie premiered three weeks before Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer premiered on TV. So this is the first filmed Mrs. Claus. That, to me, I don't know why, but that has very much the same Boba Fett's first canonical appearance as the Star Wars Christmas special energy. Well, not canonical, because the Star Wars Holiday Special, I don't believe it's canon. Oh, isn't it? Yeah, I think it has been removed from canon. Can they do? Well, I guess they can do that. They can do whatever they they want. They they erase like 500 books from canon. I think they can remove one drug-induced Christmas special. Probably. Yeah, the 2014 Star Wars canon reset said that movies and Star Wars The Clone Wars were canon, and that was it. And everything going forward would be canon, but all the other stuff was legends. And so I guess that means the Star Wars Holiday Special is a legend. That's a shame. It's a great... No. It's a... media. But anyway, the point that I want to raise is that we know this movie is science fiction. It's got Martians. They have antennas sticking out of their head. We should discuss how much of, like, Martian appearance is biology versus clothing. We should definitely dig into that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But... I think there is another sci-fi dimension to this. I think this movie is not set in 1964. I think it is set in the 2020s. Oh, you think it's set in the future of this universe? I think they made a movie that's set in the future. And my reason for it is that when Billy, the human kid who gets kidnapped along with Santa Claus, tears apart the radar screen so that the Martians will be seen leaving Earth, Mm -hmm. he says the reason he's doing it is so that when the Martians try to leave... The Space Force will stop them. I I noticed that too. You might be thinking the point here is supposed to be a kid in 64 knows about the existence of NASA and the Air Force and has conflated them. Or you could say, huh, now a Space Force does exist, however silly that may be. And is there any other evidence maybe that that's what's going on? Because from there, we could say, oh, there's kid TV. It appears to be a TV channel devoted entirely to kids, which doesn't make sense in 1964 when there's only, like, four TV channels. But in 2020, Kid TV could be a streaming service. Andy Anderson works for, like, the Roku channel. I mean, let's not also disregard the fact that they have, like, space-worthy, like, fighter jets. That is definitely something that they did not have in the 1960s. My thought is that... They have used Santa's magic to reverse engineer a dramatic leap forward in space technology in the 60s as compared to our world where Santa doesn't exist. My other piece of evidence for this Santa Claus Conquers the Martians is set in the 2020s theory is that then, you know the dumb TV announcer that they keep cutting to who just explains exactly what's been going on in the movie? The shockingly well-informed TV announcer, you mean? Where, like, he has every government secret and stuff like Mm -hmm. that? So, he is not a TV announcer. He's got a YouTube channel. And so, like, half of what he's saying has been released by the government, and half of what he's saying is just wild speculation. So, like, we know that he's right when he's talking about aliens, but that has not been confirmed by the government. He's just a crackpot who happened to be right this time. So my only counter to this theory is the Soviet Union still exists. I would also argue the Soviet Union kind of exists again. I just think that... I like to imagine that Santa Claus has advanced the technology of the planet. 
Like, because he's real and, like, we all acknowledge his existence, we then also go to him for technological advice. Yeah, they learned how to make space-worthy ships by studying how they made air-worthy reindeer. It would kind of more fully integrate him into this reality. I think Santa Claus is a big part of the economy, because if he's not, then every Christmas the influx of toys will devalue the toy market. Yeah, so I'm guessing that there's just not a substantial toy market. Right. Because Santa just does all of that. Yeah. He makes rockets that need real rocket fuel. Yeah, where are these kids going to get the rocket fuel, That's a terrible present to give a child. giving them rocket fuel? This movie's so space race, it hurts. Doesn't that also mean (laughs) that if, like, it crashes, it will explode? Like, a real, but tiny, but still very much real rocket would explode. I think Santa's being paid by firefighters to make their lives more relevant maybe there's not enough fires big fire big fire there's not enough fires in the world that's the only explanation for why he would give children literal rocket fuel for christmas it's just such a bad thing to give a child like here timmy have some kerosene i mean it is very mid-century like in the 50s like you could buy a like my first nuclear scientist kit that had like a little bit of uranium and a geiger counter i feel like though if you give like if you give children a model rocket with real rocket fuel they are going to do exactly what the fictional children from the fallout video game universe do which is i assume you're gonna say drink crack it open and drink it yep that's exactly what they did and that's what children across the world will do is they will drink the glowy rocket fuel okay but kids weren't actually eating tide pods that's, it was mostly like 20-somethings. That's true. I don't know. Did anyone eat a Tide Pod? I think it was mostly just like a moral panic. Yeah. I have not seen evidence of anyone eating a Tide Pod. Or like evidence of two people total and then everyone else joked about it, but people who weren't in on the joke thought people were legitimately eating Tide Pods. It was like that whole like media cycle about how the thumbs up emoji is now cringe and all Gen Z people hate it. And the source was a comment on Reddit. Mm, that's That sounds about right. Taking like forbidden candy, forbidden lollipop jokes way too far. Right, they think that right. people are doing it just because they're saying they are. So we've alluded to this several times. Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, despite being a theatrically released film in the late days of 1964. It looks like a bad TV movie. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys had been aware of this movie before. I guess you should tell me. But, like, this thing has a reputation as, like, one of the worst movies of all time. And I first learned about its existence at Tampa Bay Comic Con 2016, where I went to a panel on bad movies, and they talked about this. And I think I went in mostly expecting it to be, like, the production design. Like, I expected it to look stupid. And honestly, I feel like it looks fine for 60s TV. Like. None of the sets or costumes here would look that out of place on, like, a mediocre episode of Star Trek. Uh, Mostly. I think the bear costume was maybe a little... That's not a bear bear costume. That's a marauding furry. It looked like (laughs) one. It did not look like a polar bear. That's a furry who got caught in a blizzard. (laughs) I think this movie just... Like, it's not the production design that got me. It's the pacing, which is glacial. And... The fact that it just, like, looks like crappy TV. Like, even from, like, the framing where a lot of it is in close-ups or just, like, medium shots where you can see two or three heads. Mm -hmm. Like, it feels like they're minimizing setups. One of my favorite things was the um, flying saucer just hanging still 
outside of many windows on Mars. I loved that. Mm-hmm. But there's even stuff of, like, it feels like like half the compositions don't really work, where, like, it'll have two characters that are across a room, so they're just, like, both barely in the frame. And then there's even the fact that, like, a lot of scenes end with, like, a little, like, musical sting and a fade to black, as though commercial breaks were built into this movie. Yeah. Or also, like... They would do that and then have a character dramatically, like, look just off-camera to deliver what I'm sure they thought was a very clever, like, one-liner. But the problem was it would be something like a slow zoom in and a musical sing and Santa would just go, ho, ho, ho. And that was it. And cut to black. And to be fair to them, this is a movie made by TV people. It's directed by Nicholas Webster. It's the only theatrical film he ever made. His TV stuff actually sounds pretty interesting. He got an Emmy nomination for a documentary interview series called Walk in My Shoes, which was like the first time a national broadcast had black people telling their own stories. Hmm. Hmm. He directed an adaptation of an Ossie Davis play. Um, he, he made something called Riding the Rails, the Great American Train Story, in which Johnny Cash sings while people reenact moments in the history of trains. That sounds rad. Right? See, so it's like... His, like, actual TV stuff sounds pretty cool, and you're like, oh, this guy in the 60s is doing a lot of, like, very progressive stuff, too. But he was hired to direct this. And it was very much a for-hire job. Paul L. Jacobson, who wrote and produced it, his goal was to start a studio that could compete with Disney. Because at the time, you think you have, like, a lot of small neighborhood, like, one-screen theaters. And especially on Saturdays, they would do the kids matinee where it's like just kids and they're going to show like a couple of cartoons, a kid's movies, maybe some nature documentaries, stuff like that. That's where like the cliche of like rowdy kids throwing popcorn at the screen comes from. It's from screenings where it is just like 10 year olds in the audience. Hmm. And so his goal was like, oh, Disney kind of has a monopoly on that market because they're the only people making specifically for kids movies. So like there's an opening here, right? Especially by the 60s because like Disney... That's kind of when it's entering its slump era, its flop era, you might say. Even more so into the 70s, but you've also got to keep in mind, like, it's not just Disney animation, it's the 60s, they're really ramping up their live action production. Yeah. So movies like Pollyanna are coming out that are filling those slots too. And we don't really have box office numbers for the 1960s, it just wasn't tracked in the same way that it is today, but we know it was shot for $200,000, so it's made dirt cheap. And a New York Times article in early 1965 referred to it as a successful example of movies playing to that kid matinee market. That's a take. Was this like well, a successful, successful movie? Successful financially. How could it not be a successful financial movie given how cheaply it was shot? Well, I, you know, people still have to show up. I guess that's true. Were you guys aware of this at all before we, we watched it for this? I, I don't think either of you had seen it before. I hadn't seen it all the way through. I think I tried watching it one time and never finished it, which is kind of funny because it's only 80 minutes, but I think I made it like five minutes in. Got through the song. Nothing hits the same level as that bop. Hooray for Santa Claus. that I probably just moved on with my life. I mean, I, definitely the best call. Yeah. I I had never heard of this movie before. And because it was going so slowly, I thought I had found the wrong 
Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Well, you gotta go Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, parentheses, 1964, so you're not watching the pre-code version. Right, like, truly nothing was happening, and I'm like, am I? do I have the right movie? And then I checked around, and it was the right movie. It definitely gave me, like, 1958 Hercules vibes. I mean, it's distributed by the same people. Yeah, it, it definitely had that same energy. Not produced, but distributed. But it was nothing I had seen before, and, um... I did watch it twice, just like Dylan Dog. I Why? watched it twice. Why did you because watch this movie twice? I am thorough, William. Also, it's like 75 minutes long if you don't watch the credits, so it truly did not take me very long. No, that's unacceptable. Why would you do that? We made it clear last time we don't expect this. Yeah, but I don't know. It's a jam. <laughs> Good God. So I wanted to look up what was like the other movies coming out in terms of design and visual effects in 1964. Okay. the Oscar winner for best special visual effects is Mary Poppins. So just to put it in context of the time, 1964, we get Mary Poppins. Four years later is 2001 A Space Odyssey. And then there is this. Well, one, Mary Poppins certainly has a much larger budget than this. Two, Stanley Kubrick cannot fully hate on Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, because they use the same stock footage of Air Force planes. <laughs> There's so much stock footage of Air Force planes in this movie that is 82 minutes long. Yes, but what I'm saying is, especially the footage of the planes refueling in midair, that exact stock footage is in Doctor Strangelove. Wow. It's the same shots. Which came out the same year as this movie. Yes. So that means that the only possible explanation is that these two movies share the same universe connected universe <laughs> that it's the same plane it's the same plane if yeah. you told if you told me that santa claus canonically exists in real life and dr strangelove i would believe it i mean dr strangelove another movie that could really support a christmas special the u.s decides to launch nukes at the north pole right well basically what it is is like you have the war room and they're tracking a mysterious object and it turns out to be santa right like they just see a few radar pings zipping around the earth and they're like it's coming right it's coming for right them they're us. freaking out it's right on top of us and then they hear some sleigh bells <laughs> did it, either of you know what norad is besides a santa tracking thing when you were kids that's how i first learned what norad is I don't know that I knew about NORAD at all, even with Santa when I was a kid. Like, by high school, I knew about NORAD. You could track Santa on it. Yeah, I know about that. Now. I only knew about NORAD in the context of tracking Santa Claus. Like, my child brain thought it just shuts off all other times of the year, so it's, like, specifically the Santa Claus tracker. I mean, don't tell anyone, but that is what it does. It does just shut down because of budget cuts. So I predicted the future, then. There we go. So the goal of Santa Claus Conquers the Martians was really to just kind of, like, cheaply make something that could compete for that kid market. Apparently, it was financially successful. Good for them. They shot it on a soundstage in New York. They mostly used New York, like, theater actors. Oh. Like, John Call, who plays Santa, had just come off of a run in Oliver. Bill McCutcheon, who plays Dropo, uh, we've actually seen before. He's Weezer's boyfriend in Steel Magnolias. He was the only one where I was like, I vaguely seem to recognize him. He's the one where I was like, you're giving a performance. I don't really care for what you have to do in this movie, but you're doing something here. He, he is trying, trying at least. Yeah. He got a Tony in 1988 for playing Moonface Martin in the Patti Lapone Anything Goes production. Oh, that's fun. I could see that. And then, of course, the little Martian girl is Pia Zadora. 
who sort of infamously was the 1982 Golden Globe winner for Best New Star for her role in Butterfly, which was wildly critically derided. Um, She also got the Razzie for it, but the Razzies are dumb. But it was like this loathed performance, and she won the Globe for Best New Star, beating out, among others, Elizabeth McGovern for Ragtime and Kathleen Turner for Body Heat. Oh my god. And this is like one of the big cases that people point to of like, oh yes, you can bribe your way to a Golden Globe. Because at the time she was married to an Israeli billionaire 30 years older than she was. Hmm. Wow. And it was like widely suspected that he had basically bought her way to a Golden Globe win. She denies it to this day. She did a Hollywood Reporter interview like five years ago where she was like, no, I earned it. Well, of course she was. Yeah, you would never say, oh yeah, I totally bribed him. Yeah, and they retired the category a year later. I also feel like she might not know. Yeah. Like someone else, like her her husband. Like her husband did it without telling her. I could see that. Like it's not impossible. Yeah, so this movie, one of the ways it kind of resurfaces after like, you know, it has a run in 64. It maybe got re-released a couple of Christmases. But one of the ways it really resurfaces is in 1982, there's all the like, Pia Zadora, who is this lady? And her only other screen credit at the time was Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Oh my god. And like, in the meantime, she'd been on Broadway. She's in Fiddler on the Roof. She was in Revivals of Damn Yankees. She did a revival of Promises, Promises, the musical based on The Apartment. But like, that's one way. The other way it starts to come up is in 1978, the book, The 50 Worst Films of All Time comes out. And that book does a lot to popularize the idea of watching bad movies. Like for fun. Right, and, like, gives people a list of, like, these are the ones to seek out, and, like, people start screening them as midnight movies. And this was in there. And then the 80s, with the rise of cable, there are more and more places to air bad stuff. And so there was a a one-season sort of proto-MST3K in Texas called the Canned Film Festival. (laughs) Good name. Canned. I like that. So they showed it in 1986. There was a Mystery Science Theater episode about it in 1991. Elvira featured it a couple of times. This definitely does feel like something you would see on MST3K. Well, I have news for you. You can watch it on MST3K if you are interested, and I believe it's on Tubi. Well, I know what I'm doing tonight. Time to uh, go for the hat trick. Marco, you cannot watch this for a third time <laughs> in, what, three days? Two days. I watched it twice yesterday while I was making oh my nougat. God. That's unacceptable. I'm sorry. I promise if I'm ever back, I will only watch it once. No, you should do whatever you want. Okay. Um, they did, in 1998, announce a remake that was going to be produced by David Zucker of the Zucker Brothers parody movie Empire, and it would be written and directed by Ben Edlund, creator of The Tick. Okay. And at some point, Jim Carrey was attached to play Dropo. I think this movie could be remade in a very funny way. I mean, I do think it's a little funny. Jim Carrey's attached to play Dropo, and then, like, two years later... He plays a green guy who impersonates Santa. (laughs) That is fair. I didn't think about that. Like, the makeup's a lot better, but the premise is there. Green man being Santa, yeah. Also, kid- well, not kidnapping Santa, but sort of taking Christmas. Yeah. Is the power of So Bad It's Good enough to, like, really go for an entire remake? I guess not, because the remake was never made, right? Right. Every once in a while, like, somebody starts bringing it up again. I just, like, I think chasing so bad it's good is so tricky because, like, are you trying to do the same thing? Are you trying to make, like, a deliberate comedy? 
I don't know that there's a good enough idea here. Right. <laughs> to be worthy of reconsideration. That very much feels like re-releasing Morbius in theaters, which is like, the people in control of making this don't understand that they are the joke, as opposed to being in on the joke. So they're like, hey guys, look, we made it again, but it's not enough for people to then want to go see it again. To be clear, I did see Morbius. A second time? Or a no, first, the first time. time. Okay. I think high-budget thriller of Santa Claus actually conquering the Martians, and then they become his workshop. If there was actual conquering, uh, I would absolutely watch That's this the remake. remake. I mean, yeah. again, getting at this, like, I would watch a John Carter Christmas special, where, like, Santa competes to be Warlord of Mars. I be, kind of want to watch cool. John Carter. I would watch John Carter. You want to do John Carter? Sure. I've heard that it's not bad. It's just a flop. So I'm curious. I'll put it on the list. We'll do John Carter. It's on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> probably been watched more times on Disney+, Plus than in theaters. Yeah, probably. That movie lost $156 million. It was That's not as impressive. Like, you gotta give it credit for losing that much money. It takes some serious work. I was pleased to see that Andrew Stanton did just get announced as director of a live-action film again, which... I, I was happy to see for him because, you know, he'd done well at Pixar. He'd made good movies. He moved over to live action. It was John Carter. He's back in animation. He's back making Pixar movies. So I'm glad that he's getting another crack at it. All right. Should we start talking about whatever romance there is in this movie? I really dug deep for this one, guys. Yeah, I was. I watched this and I was like, thank God we have a guest and neither of us have to do the points. Um, before we move on, I assume we're going to talk a lot about S-A-N-T-A-C-L-A-U-S. Which, oh no. okay. Play the song, please. Real quick. They spell it out S-A-N-T-A-C-L-A-U-S. They actually instruct you. They say, you spell it S-A-N-T-A-C-L-A-U-S. But they pronounce it Santa Claus. And at the very end, when they put the lyrics on the screen so you can karaoke, hooray for Santa Claus, it's written out S-A-N-T-A-C-L-A-U-S. And then in the next line, it says, hooray for Santa with a Y, Claus. And when that happens and they put the lyrics on the screen, I'm just imagining, like, eight-year-olds rioting. Like, this is the best thing that's happening. Like, yes! Hooray for Santa Claus! Is this song made for this movie, or was this an existing song? Nope, this was made for this movie. It was yes. written by Milton DeLug. That's D-E-L-U-G-G. Good. Milton DeLug was a music director at NBC from the 60s until 2013. So again, that's the TV talent that's making this movie. He is most famous for being the music director of the Macy's Thanksgiving Parade from like 1966 until 2013. Oh, good lord. So clearly, I mean, his work in this movie was enough to snag him that lucrative Macy's Day Thanksgiving Parade job. I think by this point, he had already been the music director of The Tonight Show. Mm, that would do it. I am currently singing it in my head. It, it's an earworm. I gotta double check. I think I used it as the closing music for our Santa Claus 2 episode. It's a bop. It helps that it's just the same four lines sung again and again. Like, it's not complex. You just, it's circular. 
I could not believe how much of the score of this movie was like a twinkly arrangement of that song. I kept noticing that too. Like the background was just that played like dramatic or played like with different instruments, but it was, they really got their mileage out of this song. They did release it as a single. It did not chart. I'm not shocked by that. All right. Now, should we dive into the romance quote unquote? Uh, Yeah, I think we probably should. So, uh, as we said, Marco, this is your problem. (laughs) Thanks. Really, really appreciate that. And you are twice as qualified as we are to walk through anything with this movie. I can't help but notice that you guys keep giving me the ones that are, like, weird and senseless romances. At least there was romance in Dylan Dog. This one... What's their romance? Dylan Dog spontaneously decided to have a romance partway through. (laughs) Yes, but it was there. This movie, as you will see... You're scraping the bottom of the barrel. I got five points, and I am quite proud of that, though. It looks like these are all about Santa. We should at some point do a sidebar to talk about whether or not there is Martian romance. So I I had actually two columns going about, like, which romance I was going to actually track. So we can definitely talk about Kimar and Momar. There was truly... I cannot believe you have everyone's name down. Okay, it's actually very easy, because Kimar is named Kimar because he's king of the Martians. Momar is Mom of the Martians, and then, of course, Bomar is Boy Martian, and Germar is Girl Martian. <laughs> okay. okay. I hate that, that I know that. Well. There is some logic there. Yeah, so all you gotta remember is just, they are, they are the Mar, Will. Okay, then. Uh, should I, should I get started? <laughs> yes. Yeah, go ahead and get started. Take, take us to point number one. Let's talk about Santa. Hooray all for right. Santa Claus. So, point number one is, at the very beginning of the movie, a TV crew from KID-TV is a sent to... division of the Roku channel. Yes, indeed. Is sent to the North Pole to interview Santa Claus about the upcoming Christmas festivities. So the first actual point of romance is that Santa Claus is giving this interview, and Mrs. Claus comes onto the screen, and Santa Claus did not inform his wife that a camera crew was going to be coming to do a TV interview. Santa, there you are. We have so much to do, and you stand here dawdling, talking to this visitor. Mr. Anderson, this is Mrs. Claus. Uh, We're dear. We're on television. How do you do, Mr. Anderson? Ma'am? Now, I want you to go and finish painting those hobby horses. Television? Did you say we're on television? Oh, why didn't you tell me? Oh, my hair's a mess. Mm. <laughs> Hello there. <laughs> so I, I guess you're suggesting that Santa is not a very effective partner. He's just not, it's, he's not very communicative. And like, he agreed to let people come into their home and workshop and just didn't even like bother telling his wife like, yeah, hey, we're going to have guests over. Not a very thoughtful guy. I am suspicious of this Santa in general, because when he's giving his interview to Andy Anderson, a big thing he probably would have prepared for, they're bringing a journalist into the workshop. Hmm. He's listing off the names of the reindeer, and he confuses Blitzen and Nixon. And I'm just saying, can we really trust this guy to do a good job monitoring the naughty and nice list if he doesn't know the difference between a reindeer that lives with him and the former vice president? I mean, clearly... Mrs. Claus does not trust him to do a good job. No, absolutely not. This Santa is a crackpot. 
He can't be trusted with his wife. He can't be trusted with the naughty or nice list. And when presented with children, all he does is cackle. Also, like, there are many times in this movie where death is imminent and Santa Claus is just like, yeah, okay. I think Santa is dumb. This, this Santa's a moron, I think. I do not hooray for Santa Claus. I boo Santa Claus. That is the only qualification because Droppo's not exactly the most intelligent either. Oh, that's a good point. So Santa Claus is like the planetary buffoon. Yeah, right? Because that was Droppo's only qualification as being the planetary buffoon. Here's my other question. Santa complained that on Mars, all the toys were made by pushing a button and the whole thing is automated. Mm Mm-hmm. What does he do at the North Pole? He's got elves that do, or helpers that do everything. He was, he was painting something during that interview. Like, yeah, but that's for show. That's because the cameras are there. I guess in, in most Christmas specials that I can think of, Santa is not directly constructing anything. He is, like, overseeing and then just, like, hanging out and being mean to reindeer sometimes. He's just a guy who is really bad at his job. He's really dumb. He's not bad at his job, though. If his job is to bring presents to children, like, he's done that. And he said on TV that he had never failed yet. According to him, why he's not reliable. Well, Andy Anderson did not fact check him on that. So I'm led to believe it's true. Andy Anderson is doing a puff piece for KID TV. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. I really want to read the, like, Intercept article about how Santa Claus is terrible. Santa Claus is secretly dumb. A gotcha, like, Frost Nixon interview with Santa Claus. <laughs> I want to see some, uh, some Santa's helper whistleblowers behind a curtain just in silhouette. Like, yeah. deep voice silhouette, like, Santa Claus is actually no Santa's good. dumb. He keeps giving presents to reindeer instead of people. I hope they're unionized. They are not. <laughs> There's also three of them. Like, there are only three helpers. Again, I think this is, like, for show. This is, like, the Hershey's Chocolate World of the Mm. North Pole. This is the one you show and then, like, the real sweatshops out back. Yeah. Yeah, giant smokestacks. Which Santa, also, another evidence that Santa is dumb is one night he climbs into a smokestack of, like, a coal-fired power plant instead of a chimney. You'd think you'd notice the difference. If if nothing else but for the size alone. It was really foggy, though. I like this take. Santa, this this universe of Santa is not terribly bright. Santa Claus doesn't conquer anything in this movie, but he should have been conquered by, like, eight different things. The Martians conquer themselves. Santa Claus yeah, is right. just there. He's no Father Christmas in the Chronicles of Narnia, providing children with weapons to take down an evil witch. Nor is he... <laughs> Alec Baldwin in Rise of the Guardians, where he's, like, punching people. Even in the fight scene, he just sits there cackling. Like, he doesn't do anything. He lets the children fight fully armed warriors and just cackles. He's a bad person. He's a bad person. Santa Claus is a bad person. Should we talk more about his romance with his bride? Uh, we can We can try. Um, I will. I will move us along to point two. Oh, and just for context, everyone, this is set in the middle of September. September, yes, which is uh, early December on planet Earth. But I will from now on only be using September on my calendar. Thank you. Yeah. Well, the Martian year is longer, so they have more months. 
Okay, that was another thing, actually, before I get to point two. When Bomar and Gurmar meet Billy and Betty, they say, how old are you? And <sighs> Billy says, I'm 10. And Bomar says, I'm 10 too. A Martian year is like 700 Earth days. So how can they both be 10? They can. Well, they're be- both 10, but they are different. Yeah, so he's like 20 something. So do Martians just like grow into adults slower? Which is No, why- Martians grow into adults immediately. But physically, right? If he's 20 Earth years old... And looks like an Earth 10-year-old. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine so. I don't know why. That point stuck with me. Yeah, it looks like a Martian year is 687 days. Yeah, see? Maybe it's te- maybe they go based off of months, but they grow super fast. He's like 10 months old? Yeah. I so like he that. Bo- he was born like last September, and now he's one, one Martian year or 10 Martian months. I don't think they thought about it nearly as much as we are right now. They definitely they did. did not. They definitely did not. I did think it was interesting that they said Martian cities are underground to make it harder to attack them. It's the planet of war. Against whom? Whom is it the planet of war against if no one else knows that Martians exist? I assume Kimar is a brutal, bloodthirsty dictator who, like, savaged his way through Mars and is now attempting to pacify it he's the warlord of mars so like internal planet of war like planet of war against itself like they used to be a bunch of disunified countries that were ruled by the council members and kimar has conquered all of them and that's why he also is able to unilaterally decide everything while having his quote-unquote council to appease the people of these conquered territories he does totally just summon his council and then make decisions and that's it like they're just there to witness him making decisions right it's like full death of stalin like they have to be there so that they can agree with whatever he's decided to do right he he conquered by the sword but now he is laying it down and turning it into a plowshare or in this case a baseball tennis racket that looks fun that looks fun I kind of like that toy. Most of the mixed up toys look better than the real toys. Yeah. Although the the resolution on the TV was not good enough for me to even tell what the messed up train was supposed to be. It oh, it had looked... it had trucks on top of it. Okay, I could not tell. It just looked like a kind of flat train and I was like, I guess it looks bad, but I don't know I don't know what it's supposed to be. I watched this on YouTube on my iPad while sitting in Red Bear. And I think the small screen was better for the resolution. It might have been, because once it gets blown up, it gets so blurry that you can't tell anything. I watched it on Prime Video, and it looked okay. It looked like 60s TV. Yeah. Point two. Point two. All right. So point two is um, the Martians have first kidnapped a pair of small children to lead them to Santa Claus, who they are then going to kidnap and bring to Mars. As Santa is being kidnapped, Mrs. Claus enters the room, um, sees a bunch of people standing around, and announces that they are all lazy for standing around and not working. She is then immediately freeze-rayed by one of the Martians, and Santa is incredibly concerned, not about his wife's safety and more concerned about how angry she's going to be when she unfreezes. Oh, I never saw such lazy people standing around like statues. There's work to be done. Let's get to it. Oh me, oh my, oh me, oh... Oh, Mrs. Claus is going to be very angry about this. 
Take him, Torg. Torg, take him. Obey my command. Forget it, Kima. Rigner was right. He's nothing but a toy now. Best to leave him here. Believe me, I had nothing whatsoever to do about this. You know, my dear, I can't recall a time when you were so silent for so long. Let's go, old man. Don't worry, he also takes a dig at her where he goes, You know, my dear, I can't recall a time when you were so silent for so long. Well, that's that literally actually, point three. Read ahead. That's point three. <laughs> <laughs> I assumed that this whole scene was one point. I really had to try, Will. I had to try so hard to get five points. Um, yeah, here's the thing. I will advance, perhaps Mrs. Claus, also a bad person. Yes. Because workers should be able to take breaks. They should not have to be, like, breaking their backs all day long. This movie just further evidence that straight people in marriages hate each other. This is an incredibly dysfunctional relationship. Because, yeah, Mrs. Claus is less concerned about, like, how her husband and workers are doing, and more like, we have a deadline, no breaks until that deadline is met, get back to work. I think she, I think Santa is dumb. I think she might be bad. I think Mrs. Claus might be the only thing keeping the operation together, though, and this is what happens when you work with your spouse. Eventually, the business ruins your love. And right. they've fallen out of love as she has realized that he's incapable of running this planetary scale operation. And she has to step in and keep things going. And it's turned her into this taskmaster. Right, like, she has also lost sight of the meaning of Christmas. And to her, it has warped from being, delivering joy to the children, and more of, Christmas is a thing that must happen I am going to make sure it does. Maybe in Mortal Engines Christmas, the real villain is Mrs. Claus. She's tired of presents being given to others, and all of them are given to her. The entire city has to give presents to Santa and Mrs. Claus. I like this idea a lot. I also want to see Shrike the Resurrected Man in a Santa hat. Yes. Yes. I'm picturing Mom from Futurama. Like, you must tie your presents to Mrs. Claus. Yeah, it, but she portrays herself as the, like, kindly older woman. It just really feels like this world needs a year without a Santa Claus they to, need like, a break. reset. They need to, like, go be a couple for a little bit. Because right now they are one buffoon and one taskmaster who do not care for one another. They need to go spend some time in Southtown, USA, find out if they still like each other. And maybe they're going to wind up in Nevada for six weeks. Honestly, if that's what it needs to take, good. And I think Mrs. Claus should get the business and Mr. Claus should retire. No, I don't want Mrs. Claus in charge of these workers. Yeah, I guess, honestly, they need a neutral third party to come in. Dropo? We could always get Dropo. (laughs) No! (laughs) Dropo Claus is here, Will. I feel like the scale of the operation is such that it will inherently lead someone to their breaking point after one year. And so maybe it's an elected position where one of the helpers takes on the mantle of delivering every year. Yeah, the helpers need to seize the means of production. Right. It's going to be a worker-owned co-op. Maybe Christmas has to happen every two years. Or we that could just be fun. hire more Santas. Like, there doesn't need to be one Santa Claus and then his, like, army of Salvation Army impersonators. Like... 
this can be a multiple person operation. I just think that like the purists are going to say there is one Santa and then you've got a Santa anti Santa situation where one of them is in the North Pole and one of them is in Avignon. (laughs) The captivity in Babylon. (laughs) The Babylonian captivity of Christmas. Okay, so we've gone through point three because Will spoiled it. Point, yeah, three. point three, Santa decides to neg his wife <laughs> while leaving when she's been frozen in place by Martians who are kidnapping him. Right. He has he is being kidnapped and he's like, not going to worry about that. But now's my chance to get a dig in at the old lady. <laughs> I do need to point out the specific dig Santa goes with is I can't recall a time when you were so silent for so long. Women, am I right? At the time he says that, his wife has been frozen for exactly 38 seconds. You timed it? I did. I looked at the timestamps. Which means either that Santa's just being a huge asshole about this, or if we're taking him at his word, Mrs. Claus has not been quiet for more than 30 seconds for however long these two pseudo-demigods have existed. Maybe she's a hummer. Like, it's not even talking. She just hums a lot. That's true, because he says silent. He doesn't say haven't spoken. He just says silent. So she's like constant background noise. Yeah. Hmm. Anyways. Point you all four. catch that the head of the space agency in this movie is Werner Von Green? No. I did not. Yeah. Like Werner Von Braun, but I guess Christmas colored. Amazing. Around this point is when I really started to get Galaxy Quest vibes from this movie. Like the whole like aliens who watched Earth TV and decided Earthlings could solve their problem. So they kidnap somebody they saw on tv and i was thinking that like you know the dude uh john call is not giving me a lot in this besides like weird laughter i i do think the tim allen santa claus would make this movie better just like import tim allen santa claus into this movie like that well character. i mean yeah. tim allen then has to just murder this santa claus it's very easy to have that happen right. that's true right but like i think that you know, the Tim Allen Santa Claus TV show is hitting Disney+. Plus, But I think I just need a little more character from Santa. Because besides being dumb, he is just a guy who laughs. And especially by, like, Santa Claus 2, the Tim Allen Santa has a nice balance of, like, genuinely caring about a lot of people. And also being like, alright, come on, like, just get out of my way and let me do my job. Right. This Santa is not an agent who causes change. He is simply someone who other people act upon. Um, Alright, point number four. Santa, Billy, and Betty have been whisked away on a spaceship and are sitting in Martian jail as they are being taken to Mars. They're um, in the brig on the spaceship. They, like, they have still not reached Mars. They are still... this. They do not reach Mars in this movie until it is, like, more than halfway over. So, yeah. again, very little conquering is happening. Much So much of this movie is build up for a very minimal final conflict. The movie's like, Santa Claus annoys the Martians? The Martians think Santa Claus might be useful? Like, there are more accurate titles that would have compelled me less, I will grant. Yeah. Like, it is, Conquering is a more compelling title, but... That's the verb that got me to hit play. It is misleading. No Conquering occurs i would argue as santa billy and betty are in martian space jail the children are talking about how mad their parents are going to be that they've been kidnapped by martians and santa responds i can just see mrs claus now christmas is coming and i'm not there she'll have a fit 
Mommy and Daddy are going to be angry. You think that's something? I can just see Mrs. Claus now. Christmas coming, and I'm not there. She'll have a fit. <laughs> oh, me, oh, my, oh, me. Which, again, implies to me that Mrs. Claus is not concerned about her husband's well-being as much as Christmas not happening. She's a cruel taskmaster. I just think maybe Christmas will go better without Santa there this year. The elves will be worked to death, but it will happen without a hitch when Santa doesn't try and lasso the former American vice president to his sleigh. But that's the thing, like, I think you can maybe get away with one Christmas without Santa, but I don't think the elves will put up with another. I mean, it it seems clear in this movie that Santa does have some amount of, like, Santa Claus magic. Because when they were in the airlock, he did manage to fit through a ventilation pipe that physically he could not have fit through. So I, I feel like Christmas could not happen without Santa, because you need some of his magic in order to deliver all these presents to everyone in one night. Because he does have magic, because he gets out of the airlock using his chimney right. his chimney abilities. Right. So there's some actual magic that Santa has here. We don't see it, it's off screen, but it exists. Otherwise, he would be tossed out the airlock in space. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Worthy of consideration. Yeah. Um... Next point. Point five. This is point five because it is the final time that the relationship between these two characters is mentioned. (laughs) The last, there's still like 25 minutes of movie left, but the final point of this relationship, Santa Claus and his captor slash new father, Kimar, are talking about setting up a workshop on Mars so that Santa can bring Christmas to the Martian children as well. Santa is talking about how he wants to get things up and running so he can get back and home for Christmas. And, you know, he he sort of offhandedly says, Mrs. Claus is a very good-natured woman, but... And the then gets cut off by The only nice Kimar. thing he's ever said about her. And even then, it's backhanded. Like, clearly, it's like, Mrs. Claus is a good-natured woman, but she's going to be pissed if I'm not home by 8 o'clock. Santa, tomorrow we'll set up a workshop for you. It won't be exactly the same as the one you have on Earth, but I'm sure it'll serve your purpose. Good. Good. Now, I'd like to get going and have the toy shop operating full blast so as I can return to Earth for Christmas. You know, Mrs. Claus is a very good-natured woman, but... Santa Claus, you will never return to Earth. Now you belong to Mars. Ho, ho, ho. He's about to, like, qualify it or neg her some more. So, again, like, this is not a healthy relationship. I do think it's interesting that Santa's plan here is like, yeah, I'm happy to spread Christmas to the Martian kids. And his idea is basically, like, to franchise out Christmas. Right, like, there's going to be Earth Christmas and Mars Christmas now. I'll be here, I'll set up a workshop, maybe I'll make an appearance sometimes, but, like, I'm going to stay at my home base. He seems very okay with that idea. And then, like, the only he's only, like, has some reservations about it when Kimar tells him that he belongs to Mars now. And that's where it's not really clear, like, why, why not use Santa's plan? Like, it seems like it would work fine, especially if they give him the means to travel back and forth. Right. And doesn't it take, like, several months to get to Mars? I don't think it does in this movie, though, because they say it's early December when it starts. And it's not even Christmas by the time it ends, because they go back in time for Christmas. So I assume the Martians just have, like, 
near light travel. Right. So, like, if you can make it to and from Mars in a day or two, it seems entirely plausible that Santa could just, like, franchise out Christmas. Well, I mean, that is what happens by the end. Yeah, he even, like, he installs a a new franchise head. Right, yeah, Dropo. Dropo Claus. The Jar Jar Binks of this movie. Oh, when you put it like that. That's what he is! He's the dumb one who talks kind of weird. And he's always, like, bumping into things and getting in the way and stowing away. But he happens to save the day multiple times through his buffoonery. Yeah, he is. He is the Jar Jar Binks of this movie. Well, isn't Jar Jar Binks the droppo of the Star Wars franchise, then? <laughs> That's true. I guess, yeah, this one came first, so... Droppo walked so Jar Jar could run. Jar Jar could trip. Jar Jar could stumble. Um... That is, I, I do have a, a sort of afterthought point, because it is not necessarily part of the romance of this movie, but this I thought- not part of the movie at all. I thought it was relevant, alright? This is a new spin on the point zero, I'm just gonna talk about basic backstory. This is, I have fanfictioned out the next sequence. I just, I feel like it's relevant, and I feel like as the the opening paragraph of this- podcast description says like we have made it our mission to fully investigate hollywood romance and i would be doing the viewers a disservice to not include this final point which which is mostly that um at the end of the movie after voldar our main antagonist is defeated they all return home very excited and happy about being able to make it in time for christmas and santa does not mention his wife at all all right. So, um, by the way, uh, yes. Marco, if you are interested, I did just check, and there are two stories on AO3 building on Santa Claus conquers the Martians. Are That's there really? Maybe the least I've ever heard of any property. <laughs> it's pretty low. All right. I have um uh, a long winter's night. Colonel Makepeace is captured by sinister elf commandos and taken to a strange parallel universe ruled by a despotic, all-powerful Santa. A rather twisted crossover of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. And then the other one is called Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, and it says, My attempt to do a modern version of this 1964 classic because everything is being remade these days. Uh I will be reading neither. I mean, I think that is a good choice. You're not going to dive headfirst into the Santa Claus Conquers the Martians extended universe? I'm good. They did make a one-issue comic book adaptation of this two years after the movie came out. Did it sell? I don't know. The company that made it doesn't exist anymore. I'm going to go ahead and guess it didn't, then. I don't think there's a cause-effect relationship between those two things. But, no, I imagine it was not a huge hit. All right. So, after watching this movie unfold, do we find the romance between Santa and Mrs. Claus believable? I mean, yes, right? Like, we've talked about how it's a bad relationship, it's unpleasant, but I think it's generally believable, right? It's just based on the, like, husband and wife who hate each other. It it feels like, yeah, like, if you so closely tether your relationship with your business Mm -hmm. like this, it is entirely possible that you could grow to disdain each other and prioritize the needs of the business over the needs of this relationship. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Now, here's a question, though, which we have not discussed. The relationship between Kimar and Momar, do we find it to be a romance? Or is she a concubine? I assumed that it was, 
But you raised the point of, like, her referring to him as, what, the master? The master, yeah. So it does raise this question of, like, is she one of many, for example? She doesn't really... Kimar has kingly vibes. She does not have queenly vibes because she is a 50s housewife who goes and does, like, the shopping. She's also not Quimar. She is Momar. Right. She is not queen of all the Martians. She is Martian mom. She is just there to raise the next generation. Would all of his brides be named Momar? Maybe Momar is, like, a title that she has earned by giving birth to Bomar and Gurmar. Maybe Momar is, like, queen mother? I was gonna say, maybe she's, like, the woman king, where she has a say in things because she has been elevated above the other brides of the king. Yeah. I mean, that's the best way to gain power in most imperial, like, concubine systems is by giving birth to a son first. I will say, as far as whether or not there is any actual romantic feelings between these two, at one point, one of the Martian children says, what is tender loving care? So there have not been visible displays of affection in this relationship, regardless of whether or not it is like utilitarian or actually romantic. Yeah, I guess that raises the point that maybe romance doesn't exist on Mars as a concept. Right, it's just, like, solely for the purpose of procreation to further the Martian race. It's the question of how robotic Martians are, right? For example, they appear to have built-in antennae, right? That's part of their biology. Yeah, I think they might be cybernetic. So they have these antennae that are collapsible. They're not fully retractable. They're not built in, because the, the sage was not wearing a helmet. I assumed he was just, like, really old. Yeah, he predates their, like, cyborgification as a race. They're transhumanism, or I guess transmartianism. Transmartianism? I, yeah. Like, as the point that the race is now, like, the antenna are part of them. Yeah, so, like, thinking about that, so the Martians, let's think about them. They are poorly face-painted green. They appear to have... Screens in their helmet. Screens in their helmet. But, like, how much of it is a helmet? How much of it is their biology? So then I was asked basically, like, how much of what we're looking at with them is clothing and how much of it is biology? I think the helmets are, like, implanted to their brains. Like, they're directly hardwired into their brain. But I think the rest is clothes. Like, the belt. I don't think the belt is biology. It's just weird that everything's green. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess it corresponds to the red planet in terms of Christmas love. (laughs) I suppose so. All right, so where would we rate this on our 10-point scale? I feel like we have to give this a 10, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't really yeah. see a reason to knock it down a point. It's entirely believable. It's toxic. It's toxic, but there are real-life toxic relationships, and I I didn't see anything in this relationship that seems like it couldn't or wouldn't happen between a couple after enough time and enough stress caused by a joint business imagine running a business with your partner with no intent to retire or die we don't know that santa's immortal in this well he is magic i mean we have to assume that christmas has been happening like this santa claus has been doing christmas since christmas started it doesn't seem that there's an heir apparent I, like, would very much believe this is the santa that falls off tim allen's roof so that's also part of this connected universe right But, like, you think about how dumb this Santa is. He is the one who, like, would be so shocked that someone's like, what are you doing on my roof? That he would, like, fall and die. 
He would, like, just any amount of, like, someone appearing would be enough for him to just, like, giggle his way off of the ledge and then die. It's so weird that when they arrive on Mars, Kimar goes to his kids and he's like, I've got some people for you to meet. And he's like, introduces Billy and Betty. And he's like, these are human Earth children that you're going to hang out with. And that's when they're like, I'm 10, I'm 10. And then Kimar's like, and I have someone else for you to meet. And Santa walks in and starts a jolly laugh. And then Billy and Betty start to laugh. And then Bomar and, and Gimar start to laugh too. And the whole thing is just this room of people like hypnotically cackling. No words have been exchanged. It's deeply strange. Do we think that part of Santa's ability to bring cheer is like low grade level of brainwashing? To, like, yes, just, like, yes. spread that laughter even to people. This is, like, some Pied Piper menacing crap. Santa is the villain. It seemed almost hypnotic. You're right, because he just starts laughing, and then for no reason, everyone else does as well. I think he eats children. <laughs> that is a take. Just for sustenance or just, like, for fun? Both. Okay. He needs one a year for sustenance, the rest are for fun. That's how he gains his powers. Yeah. The blood Adrenochrome. All right. Do we find Santa or Mrs. Claus dateable? I think we found, made it pretty clear. He's dumb and she's bad. Yeah. Right. Like, maybe in a different situation, like, they would be different people. But as they are right now, I don't, I don't think so. If you did have to pick one person to date, who would you choose? I'm coming here with, I, I took notes during the movie. I got three different options. Whoa. I, you go first. Number one, Andy Anderson. Okay. The, uh... KID TV journalist who goes to the North Pole. Okay. Seems like a perfectly affable guy. Number two, Voldar the mean Martian who wants to preserve Martian culture <laughs> and keep the child eater Santa Claus off their planet. All right. Voldar also has a pretty good mustache. If if we are taking the spin that Santa Claus corrupts and eats children, Voldar is the protagonist of this movie. He I don't really I at will least say, corrupts them. I don't think it's good to airlock launch children into space santa claus would be fine billy and betty did not deserve to be launched into the cold vacuum of space to die that's fair it was also voldar's idea to kidnap them yes the rest of the martians agreed but voldar definitely was like look some children let's take them uh my third possibility i think i'm gonna wind up with andy anderson but i also did want to give a shout out to the furry yeah, I was thinking about shouting him out. You know what we haven't mentioned? The world's worst looking robot. Excuse you, <laughs> Torg is a national treasure and I shall not hear his name besmirched. The logic of Torg is basically like the destroyer from Marvel's Thor comics, where it's like just a giant robot that they can unleash when they need a job done. But he appears to be made not even of cardboard. He's made of like poster board. Yeah. He is such a, a clearly just, like, man with poster board taped and to him. immediately becomes a toy as soon as he meets Santa Claus. I did not understand the logic of that. It's the hypnotic power of Kris Kringle. It works on robots, too? Yeah. I think that he's, a uh, like, he can interface with robots. So, okay, yeah. Santa, Santa has this technical prowess, this innate technopathy that makes him good at making toys, but it also means that, like, he can immediately establish a rapport with the robot, and it also is what enables him to so easily get to the Martian children that he can 
oh, technopathically with their brains interface with their cybernetic brains. Oh. I would like to just point out real quick that we have now officially been recording longer than the movie is long. Oh, that's a little sad. I think this is our uh, this is a show first. No, we did it. The like not even recording. The final wedding singer episode is longer than the movie. Is it really? Oh my god. Okay, so I agree. The journalist is probably the only logical option because that furry was a little aggressive towards the children. I'm sure that's he was true. just trying to get into some warmth being lost in the frozen wasteland of <laughs> the North Pole, but not great. I mean, based on what we've spoken about with our Santa Claus, I can only assume that he was hunting the furry for sport. That's true. Uh, Do you think that either couple slash one and a half couples, I guess, sort of, will stay together? I think they will both stay together. Yeah. I think so, too. Out of inertia more than anything. Regardless of whether or not it's good. I think that Momar and Kimar, you know, I I hope that Momar uh, can be the Shani to Kimar's Paul and... (laughs) continue to have a prominent role i think i hope that momar learns from the children to also feel love and whether that love is for kimar or someone else that's fine with me well kimar will eventually leave her to become a giant sandworm i mean we'll all do that it's just the natural end to every relationship yeah last question gentlemen should the film santa claus conquers the martians be adapted into a stage musical just like hard no I I think this movie would just need such a complete rewrite in order to be even remotely interesting as a musical that it would not be worth it. Well, you should have said something. Oh, God. No. Because in 1993, the Factory Theater in Chicago premiered Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, the musical. Is it watchable anywhere? Because I will. I haven't looked hard for it, but please let me know if you find it. I'm going to see if I can find a slime tutorial for that. That is your job. The movie is, of course, in the public domain, which is why you can watch it anywhere. There is a Blu-ray from Kino Lorber, which I find very funny. But yes, Chicago's Factory Theater did give us Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, the musical. So there we go. Just when you least expect it, Mark. There it is. My God. Was it well-received critically? Couldn't find reviews. Again, 93 is like a weird time for internet stuff. All right. I think we have conquered the Martians ourselves. I truly think there's no more we can talk about for this movie. I think Marco was defeated by the Martians because he watched it twice. That is fair. I think Marco has lost to both Santa Claus and the Martians. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely the loser out of this entire situation. Next week, we will be wrapping up our strange Christmas season by taking a look at Tim Burton's seminal classic, Batman Returns. I cannot wait. Will and I are catching a screening in theaters, and I think it's going to make it all the better. What a thrill. Danny DeVito, as the Penguin, is all I want for Christmas. Blown up on the silver screen. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts, or give us a review on Spotify to help other people find the show. All right, last question. What is the best piece of dating advice we got from Santa Claus Conquers the Martians? I mean, it's it's very basic, but separate your work relationship from your personal relationship. I was going to say, you should tell your partner if you're having guests over. I guess my advice is um, express sympathy when bad things happen to your partner <laughs> instead of using it as an opportunity for a dig. <laughs> 
All right. Well, there you go. Until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. 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 One, two, three.